It's wonderful to be here with each and every one of you today. As has already been mentioned, we appreciate so very much the presence of everyone and the effort that you have made to be with us. And as always, if you consider yourself to be a visitor here today, please feel as you are, and that is our honored guest. It is a privilege to be able to speak concerning the Word of God, and I do consider it as such. And my hope and prayer is that the things that we would have to consider this morning will be very helpful to you, encouraging to you, and, and properly uh, applied in our life. I want to talk about a subject that's extremely important. And I have the question on the, on the screen here. This is our lesson. We're going to investigate this question. Is the church of the Bible still the church of today? Now, I know that you could probably say, well, Frank, I know exactly what you're going to say. I know exactly what your answer is going to be, and you would be right. But there has to be more. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in the world that we live in, very few would deny that the church of Christ is the church of the Bible. I mean, after all, it's the church that you can read about. You can find out when it was established. It was the church Jesus said he would build. It's a church that bears his name, all that. We get that. But then people oftentimes say, I know it was the church of the Bible, but it's not the church of today. We want to talk about these ideas and what the word of God says. Well, first of all, we have two introductory passages. One is very familiar. Actually, they're both very familiar. And this is from the New King James in Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19. We begin there. Jesus says, and I also say to you, that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Another passage when the church was established in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. This is when the fulfillment of this promise actually had, came up. In Acts 2 and 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. No doubt, the church of Christ is the church of the Bible. In Romans chapter 16 and 16, Paul said, Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. i got to tell you, I've been thinking about this subject for a really long time. Because this is a subject that really hits home with me. I was having a conversation with someone one time, not long ago, a young man. And I said, tell me, I said, do you believe, do you still believe that the church of Christ is the Lord's church? Is it the church? Is it the true church? Is it the right church? Because it matters that we're part of the right church. Absolutely, it matters. And he said to me, he said, I believe that the church of Christ is the church of the Bible. And you know, at first glance, I was so happy about that. I was so tickled with that. That's right. That's the right answer. Because in my mind, if it's the church of the Bible, it's the church for all time. It's the church for right now. But that's not what he meant. What he meant was, it's the church of the Bible, but it's not necessarily the church of today. I've been thinking about this subject for a really long time. And do you know what the position is? The position or the popular religious position in the world is this. For the church of today to be the church of today, 
It must be relevant. Now, I'm going to tell you right now at the very beginning of this lesson, I agree with that. I agree that the church must be relevant. Absolutely. Where I might disagree with a religious position is on what does it actually mean to be relevant? And what is the criteria or guidelines for being relative, relevant? That's where we might disagree. But I agree. The church must be relevant. Well, first of all, we begin to ask ourselves the, the question, why was the church established? You know, we spend a whole lot of time talking about the what, the when, and the how. The church is the what. The when is on the day of Pentecost, and we know how it was established. We know all that. But you know what we never do? I know I haven't in one sermon, I don't think. Maybe I've dealt with it in passing. But you know what we don't do? We don't talk about why. We don't talk about why. I'm going to tell you, in every aspect of your life, if you're a leader and you want to get the most out of people, it's not just a matter of saying, do what I said because I'm the boss. But when you tell them why, it helps in their conviction. It does. So it's not enough just to say the what, the, the how, and all of that. You have to say the why. Why was the church established? Let's notice a couple of things. First of all, first of all, the church was established to reveal the mystery between Jew and Gentile being in one body. Okay. And by the way, I got to tell you, get ready because there's a lot of scripture in this lesson. I would never touch on this subject without backing up everything I'm going to say with the word of God. So there's a whole lot of scriptures coming, maybe more than usual, but there's a lot coming. The first reason is to reveal the mystery. Now, a mystery is something that existed in the eyes or in the mind of God at one point in time, but was not yet revealed. What was the mystery? In the mind of God, it was the mystery or the plan that a Jew and a Gentile alike would be in one body. No longer would the Jews be God's people and the Gentiles would be, as the New, as the New Testament describes them, heathens. No longer. It was always going to be in the mind of God that the church was going to have Jew and Gentile together in one body. Let's put some Bible to that. And we go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 8 through 11. Paul says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of all ages had been hidden in God and created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All of that was to be made known through the church. Now, have you ever stopped to consider that there's absolutely nothing in life that God doesn't know? You know, sometimes we think we know best. And usually we get in trouble. When we put too much stock in how we feel or what we think it ought to be, then putting it in the hands of God and trusting God in both time and eternity. But God knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. In fact, there's a, a number of attributes about God. He is all present. He is always here. He is always present. 
He is all loving. He is all caring. He is all powerful. He is almighty. And you know what else he is? He's all knowing. You know what God knew in all of this? What God knew knowing everything. God knew what man's greatest problem was going to be. And that was sin. Now go back in your mind very briefly to the garden. When man sinned and was cast out of the garden. You know that was the darkest day of all mankind up until that point in time. Because that was the day when innocence was lost and condemnation was pronounced. And that day was a day that sin entered the world and death by sin. And from that point forward, God knew that man had a problem. It's the greatest problem that man would ever have, and that is sin. Notice, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So all of us are going to fall into that category. Everybody that gets old enough. Now I have to make this point. There's some precious little children here in this audience. They don't have any sin. They are precious in the eyes of God. They are innocent. And they are in, not in need, they are not, no need of a Savior. They're not lost. They're not in sin. But what happens is, if we are uh, properly in mind, at some point in time in our life, we become accountable for our actions. In other words, we understand what right and wrong is. And there's a difference between understanding right and wrong, because that's what mom and dad said, and because morally you understand the difference. There's a big difference. Okay? So a kid can follow suit and follow what the parents say and know what's right and wrong because that's what mom and dad always said or they can get old enough to know morally what's right and wrong when you do that guess what you have a choice and you're going to sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of god everybody and when that happens guess what our greatest problem then becomes sin let me give you another passage in isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he will not hear you. In other words, man's greatest problem is sin. I'm so thankful, though. You know why? Because God had a plan. God had a get-back plan. He had a plan to bring man back to God. He had a plan. He had a solution. Wouldn't it be awful if there was no solution? There was. In fact, it was God's divine remedy. Notice, please, the remedy that God put into place for the sins of the world was Jesus and his church. In my life, when I was younger, I used to hear the old preachers. They used to say, they used to reflect on sometimes what people say and where people sometimes say, just preach the man, not the plan. I haven't heard that in a lot of years, but you've heard that. And people say, just preach the man. Now, the world uses different terminologies, but that's exactly what they say. I had a young man tell me, you know he said not long ago? All that really matters, it's just about Jesus anyway. It's not, it's not about how, what you believe, it's not about what you do, it's just all about Jesus anyway. But you know, you can't have Jesus. Please get this. You cannot have Jesus without his church. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus without the church. 
That was part of God's divine plan. In Luke 19 and 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Now I know that when we look at this, we're going to talk about spiritual wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. And you know what the world thinks? The world thinks that's really not very popular. And people sometimes say, you know, that's, that, that's ridiculous. But you know, the world thinks it's even foolish, and that's nothing new. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 and verses 18 and 21. Look at this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Notice verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those that believe. That is spiritual wisdom. Now, the church was established not only to reveal the mystery, and not only because man had a great problem, and that was sin, but it was also established because man could not save himself. Man can't do that. And by the way, you remember in Acts 2, when they're told that they preached that gospel sermon, and they were told, save yourself from this perverse or twisted generation okay is that conflicting with this nope you know why because what they meant is they meant obey save yourself meant obey the gospel in other words that puts the choice the choice is in the hands of every person in other words look i got a big problem you know what my problem is it's sin and you know what? On my own, I can't, I can't take sin out of my life. So I have to access the blood of Jesus Christ. I have to obey the gospel. And when I'm baptized for the remission of my sins, guess what? I can now save myself in obedience to the gospel. Without Jesus, though, man cannot save himself. Man cannot save himself. And by the way, these roll right into the, uh, one rolls right into the next. Romans 3 and 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. What else do we learn? We learn that the wages of sin is death. Now I want to notice some very important foundational passages. I think there's five of these. Very important foundational passages that show the relationship, very important, the relationship between Jesus and his church. And we begin in God's remedy, by the way, that's God's remedy, is Jesus and the church, Ephesians 5 and 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Also, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. It says, Now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what was lacking in the, in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. 
whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, to have all been made to drink into one spirit. One final passage, one final passage becoming in Christ. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, which simply means have clothed yourself with Christ. We'll sum up these things later. just wanted to put some foundational passages down about the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. So, the church was established to save man because man could not save himself. And we understand that. And obviously, by the way, obviously, that's the church of the Bible. People don't doubt that. That's the church of the Bible. But what about this? Here's the question. What about the church of today? What about that? What about the church of today? Notice the following questions. Does the church have to evolve with the times in order to be relevant? That's number one. And number two, does the church cease to be relevant when it deviates from God's divine pattern? These are questions we have to answer. And I'll tell you, one of the things that people do is they say for a church to be relevant, it has to evolve with the times and the customs of society in that day. In other words, they use the word relevant and say it has to be relevant. Therefore, it has to be something that evolves. In other words, it works for the customs of the day and your likes and your dislikes and all of that. Well, let me just say this. I do believe that the church has to be relevant. I said that before. I'm saying it again. But here are some criteria. For the church to be relevant according to the word of God, it has to be biblical. It's got to be. It's got to be biblical. Notice this, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap to themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, this, by the way, wasn't a suggestion. Paul told Timothy an all-out command. You know what he said? Timothy, he said, preach the word. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season. That just simply means this. In season means when it's convenient. Out of season means when it's inconvenient. So in other words, if it's convenient to do so or inconvenient, doesn't matter. Preach the word of God all the time. Why? Then he says what? He says what to preach. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And what are they going to do? Very sadly, they're going to turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, remember the importance of a knowledge of God's word. You know, remember Hosea 4 and verse 6? My people are destroyed. Why? For, for lack of knowledge. I got to tell you, 
There was a time in our society, in our world, I, I don't know about the world, the United States of America. There was a time in the United States of America where people knew something about the Bible. They really did. There was other religious affiliations where people knew something about the Bible. There were people even in the world that didn't profess to be anything religiously. But they seemed to know something about the Bible. They had, a, they had a Bible passage they have always heard and they might even cite and quote. There was a time when people knew something about the Bible. But I got to tell you, we now live in a Bible illiterate society. That's a fact. And in the absence of scripture, people are being offered dangerous substitutes that don't help. And I got to share something with you. I looked this up about two weeks ago. And I'm, I'm dying to use it. And you know what? I Googled it, but leave your phones alone. Google it after services to, to prove I'm right on this. But you know, my whole life, you know what I have always said? And maybe I was right at the time. That people are drawn to religious persuasions because of, like, entertainment or programs. And the majority of people are looking for different programs and all of that. You know, that may, that may have been true at some point in time. Did you know that's not true now? Did you know that that's not true? They surveyed people that were looking for a church. They were looking for a people, a place to go. They were looking for something spiritual. Do you know what they found? 83% said, 83%. We are looking for a quality sermon. Yeah. We are looking for a quality sermon. This is what they meant though. We are looking for a sermon that is relevant. We're looking for things that we can learn or hear in a sermon that we can apply to our lives. That's number one. Now if you put someone that has no Bible knowledge... And they hear something, please hear me because I'm not making fun. They hear something that sounds really good. Even if it's taken and twisted out of context, it sounds good. They're drawn to that. They're drawn to that. Somebody gets up and makes an application spiritually to a passage that has nothing to do with that. But it sounds good. You know what they do? They're drawn to that. You know why? Because they're desiring a quality sermon. Don't you see that people are literally starving for the word of God? They just don't know it. They're starving. I'm going to tell you right now, people in the world are looking for something. They are looking for something of substance. And in the absence of substance, they hear something that they have confidence in and they don't know the difference. That was number one. That's 83%. You don't want to hear what, what number 79% is? You know what 79% said? Might shock you. 79% said we are looking for a place where the leaders of that congregation make us feel welcome. Quality sermon and the leaders of that congregation making them feel welcome. I'm not talking about a place that's so big that you got some preacher up on a stage somewhere and he doesn't shake anybody's hand. He's, he, he's almost untouchable like some celebrity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where leaders make Others that come in to visit feel welcome. It's important. 83% though, you know what they're looking for? Looking for a quality sermon. Looking for a quality sermon. So, for a church to be relevant, 
And I mean, using the word properly, it has to be biblical. But number two, it's got to be something else. It's got to be authentic. It has to be authentic. Let me read you what Paul's attitude was. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I don't have this on a slide. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and beginning in verse 5. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. When we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. That's true. That's what Paul was all about. But you know, not everybody is authentic. You've seen that in your life. Have you ever talked to somebody that you knew they were just fake? Let's just step aside from religious things. There's a difference between someone, and you know, sometimes you say, you may not like him, but as you, what you see is what you get. I've known people in my life that you either liked them or you didn't, but they were authentic. That's who they were. Have you ever stopped to consider the importance of the church being authentic? And by the way, who's the church? It's the congregants. It's the members. It's the people. So for the church to be authentic as a whole, it must be authentic individually. All the parts. Got to be authentic. So what makes the church relevant? Number one, it's got to be biblical. Number two, it must be authentic. Not everybody is authentic. And you know, this is nothing new. Watch this. In Philippians chapter 1. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. And some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Not only that. That is someone that was not authentic. But even out of error and greed. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 5. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness means gain from such withdraw yourself. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, there was a country song that came out. And it said, they want you, the preachers on TV, they want you to send their money, your money to the Lord, but they give you his address. And you know, that's kind of a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek way of describing sometimes prosperity preachers. I'm going to tell you right now, it is not right for a preacher to preach for the purpose of gain, for the purpose of greed. For the millions and billions of dollars that is generated in religion. And you know, all you got to do is look around. It can't be for that motive. It can't be. It has to be for the right motive, the right reason. And it can't be out of greed. It can't be out of gain. Can't be that at all. Church has to be biblical and authentic. Now, the religious world defines the, the word relevant as it pertains to my lifestyle based upon the custom of the day. So, what does it mean to be relevant? What's it really mean? It's very simple. It's very, very simple. You know what it means? It means there has to be a link between your walk and your talk. That's relevant. 
I know that's oversimplified, but that's true. That's true. Colossians 1 and 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, demonstrated by my behavior. Um, I want to make a point about this. You remember when we studied the seven churches of Asia? Remember? And the last one we studied was Laodicea. And Laodicea was the church that was called lukewarm. And Jesus says to that church, he said, you, I would that you were hot or cold, but if you were lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now they understood about spewing out water that was lukewarm because of those, those uh, hot springs and cold springs. If it's cold, it tastes good. If it's hot, it tastes good. But there were times when the waters would cross and it would be lukewarm. And literally, that's how brilliant the Lord is. Literally, they would take a drink of it. Oh, it's lukewarm and spit it out. So the Lord uses language that those in Laodicea would have understood. But I got to make a point because it does not mean, please get this. It does not mean that if you are cold, the Lord said you might as well get out. That's not what that means. You know, my whole life I've heard somebody say, well, just get in, get in or get out. The Lord would rather have you out than halfway in. That's not what he said. and That's not what that means. Hot represents a faithful Christian. Cold represents somebody that's in the world that's not a Christian. And Jesus says, I would rather have you be hot, faithful Christian, or cold in the world. Do you know why? Because if you're in the world, you're still, the gospel still has the power to change your life. You know what happens when you're lukewarm? When you're lukewarm, you don't even know there's a problem. You're just going right along. You're just going right along the way you've always gone along and everything and everything's just fine. And you're not really moved by anything. It could be the Christian that's kind of halfway doing it. Just halfway living the Christian life. Hanging in there, punching a time clock. On the outside, not the inside. Christ is not formed in you. All that. Or it could be the hypocrite. And that's what Jesus said. And by the way, don't ever do that. Don't ever go up to somebody and go, get in or get out. I got to tell you, that happened. I know of that happening. I'm never going to do that. You know why? Because Jesus never did. Ever. He never said that. You know what he said? He didn't say get out. He said, get in, stay in, hold on, don't turn back, don't let go. That's what the Lord said. I knew of a father that said to his daughter, he was frustrated with her, and he said, you know what? You might as well just get in or get out. Pick, a, pick your side. You know what she picked? Out. She's still out. Not me. I'm not going to do that because the Lord didn't do that. Folks, Christianity has to become more than theological arguments. It must become a practical way of life if it's going to be accepted. You also cannot just look the part. You've got to be the part. Christianity has to change your life. It has to change your life. We've talked about the fact that this is the church of the Bible, but the church of the Bible is still the church today. Yes, it is. So back to the question that we said at the very beginning. Is the church of the Bible the church of today? Yes, it is. You know why? It's relevant. Do you know why it's relevant? 
not because it's evolved with the times. It's relevant because it's biblical and authentic. And by the way, it's the church that man still needs. You know why? Because man still cannot save himself. The Bible talks about the fact that God had a plan. God had a remedy for sin. And it's the Lord. How many lords are there? Well, there's only one according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. Only one. And by the way, how many bodies does he have? Glad I didn't say this. Paul did. In Ephesians 4 and 4, there's only one body. What's the body? Again, Paul said this too. The body is the church. Colossians 1, Ephesians 1. Now, stay with me on this. We're going to draw a conclusion. If we're talking about one Lord, and we're talking about the fact that the body is the church, and if he, in fact, only has one body, then doesn't he only have one church? He's got one church. Just one. Just one. When man is baptized into Jesus Christ, he's baptized into his body. He comes from the waters of baptism to rise and walk in newness of life. And Jesus Christ adds him to his church. And by the way, this church has a name. And can I just say this to you? Don't, don't, don't duck your head. Don't do that. It's got a name. Let's call it what the name is. It's the Church of Christ. That's the name. The church that we're talking about has a name. And I'm going to tell you something too. There's a greater need now. There's a greater need now to preach the Word of God than ever before. There's a great opportunity to preach the Word of God. We've got to do that. We've got to preach the Word of God. People are literally starving, as I said, for the word of God. They just don't know it. Many are being offered dangerous substitutes that don't help. I'm going to wrap my thoughts up now. I'm going to tell you a little, recite something to you that I did years ago in another sermon, but I think it fits here. And it really talks about the attitude that we should all have of taking the truth, taking the word of God to those that are lost. And it was a story told about an infidel that challenged a Christian by saying, if I firmly believed, as so many say that they do, that the knowledge and practice of Christianity in this life influences destiny in another world, if I really believe that, then Christianity would be to me everything. I would esteem earthly cares as follies and earthly thoughts and feelings as vanity. Christianity would be my first waking thought. And it would be the last image before sleep sank me deep into the unconsciousness of night. I would labor in its cause. And I would labor in its cause alone. And earthly cares would never stay my hands nor seal my lips. I would esteem one soul gained for heaven, just one, worth a lifetime of effort. I would go forth to the world and I would preach Christ in season and out of season. And my text would be this. For what doth it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, it's time to preach the word. It's time to preach the truth.
Don't dick duck your head. Don't do that. Don't apologize for the truth, folks. Let's not do that. The church of Christ is the church of the Bible. It is also the church of today. And it's the church that will remain until the Lord comes back. That's what the word of God says. I'm through this morning. Thank you so much for your kind listening. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.